as we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. We were looking at the Christian characteristics that's given in Second Peter chapter 1. And these are the characteristics that Peter tells us that we must be sure that we have. And we are adding to our faith. And this is a way for us to measure our growth as Christians. To see whether or not these things are in fact being placed um, upon our faith as believers. We've looked at faith, which is the foundation. We've looked at moral excellence, knowledge, knowledge of Christ, knowledge of the Word, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and we stopped at love. We want to pick up on that tonight. Before we do so, please bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, once more we ask that you you might open our eyes so that we might behold wonders out of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit might illuminate us so that we might understand what he is saying to us about yourself and your desire for us as your people. And then, our Father, we pray that we might draw upon his strength to do whatsoever you say to us might energize us with the mighty power of God to manifest these traits in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peter leaves love at the end of his list. But it's not because it's the least important, but it's because it's the most important. We're going to be looking at another list shortly and seeing that it's at the beginning. Here, Peter has it as the crowning virtue. The word here is agapeo. This is a divine love, a love that has a source in God. It encompasses all of the previous virtues that we've looked at here. Faith, moral excellence, knowledge, Self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness. Love encompasses all of these virtues. Love, described here in this passage, is an unselfish commitment to do what is best for the other person, regardless of what it might mean to you. Unselfish, focuses toward the one being loved. It is a commitment. Feeling is not the motivation here. Obedience is. This is also true when we look at a commitment in marriage. Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. And then say, love your wives if you feel like it. Or love your wives if she loves you back. Or if she gives you your meal on time. Love your wives. That's a command. You do it because God tells you to do it. It's a commitment to do what is best for the one being loved, regardless to what it means or what it may cost you. This love has God as its source and the Holy Spirit as its dispenser. The love of God is shared abroad in our hearts. How? 
by the Holy Spirit. This is a unique kind of love, not an if love. This is not a conditional love, unconditional, focusing always on the other person. Peter is telling us we must be sure that this love is present in our life as believers and growing more and more. Now, each believer is responsible for, before God for his conduct. We are responsible before God. We are responsible for our spiritual growth. That's who these commands are given for, to underline our responsibility. Yet, at the same time, that growth could not take place without God's prior work and constant enabling in our lives. We are responsible with God as enabler. There's a working together, there's the cooperation, cooperation of the Spirit of God in our lives to bring about spiritual growth. We are responsible, but God is the enabler. We must not neglect our responsibility and say, I'm going to let go and let God. We have to be very careful how we say that. Because if you let go, God is still holding on. And he wants you to do something. We must not neglect our responsibility. Yet the enabling and the credit always goes to God. We are never what we are because of who we are. We are always what we are because of who God is. You see, it's important for us to understand. We have nothing to boast of. I remember seeing a t-shirt. I'm proud to be a Christian. That's contradictory. You have nothing at all to do without to be proud of as a Christian because everything we have as believers is by God's grace. And we can only be proud of things that we ourselves are responsible for completely. We're thankful, but not proud. Paul says in another passage in Philippians, continue working out your salvation with humility and dependence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort is God. That's the net rendering of that. Let me read it again. Continue working out your salvation with humility and dependence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort is God. It's all God. It's all God. Salvation is God-centered. Not man-centered. That's why worship is always directed toward God, not us. Many times we think we're worshiping when we're just thanking God for saving me, for giving me this job, for giving me this money, for giving me this boat, for giving me this TV. But really, worship is when we're focusing on thanking God for who He is. The God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. Giving back to Him who He is. Paul places this virtue then love on the top of his list in another passage it's a passage that encourages us to do a spiritual audit and checkup of our spiritual state and that passage is Galatians chapter 5 and I want you to turn to that as well these are important things for us to be involved with now beloved these are concrete, objective ways by which we can measure our spirituality. Sometimes we don't like to do that because we know we fail in so many areas. But yet we are to do it. 
In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All of these things are based on grace. It comes from grace. It has its energy in grace. All of these elements here, characteristic traits, virtues, are to be true of the believer in Christ. If we profess to believers and we are not growing in these areas, we need to check up ourselves and to make changes if necessary. And that's the purpose behind doing this order, or to do this inventory. Now, notice carefully, these virtues are not the result of what we do. We have to be clear on this. These virtues are not the result of what we do, but rather they are the result of what the Holy Spirit does within us. Very important for us to understand that. We just hold the fruit. We don't produce it. Sometimes we can get confused there. This is the automatic, natural result, if you have to read the whole passage for this, of walking by the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, if we keep in step with the Spirit, these virtues automatically result. In other words, they are the marks of being spirit-filled. They are the marks of being controlled by the Spirit of God. They are the marks of one who has been truly saved by Christ and surrendered totally to Him. Surrendered totally to Him. These virtues are the result of a person who is truly saved and truly surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit. These things come automatic. Takes no work. Just surrender. They represent what I call the law of spiritual returns. We hear that a lot today on the radio and the TV, but it mostly has to do with money. But here, the law of spiritual returns that I'm referring to is used in a more positive way, having to do with the Christian's character. You know, it says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Because it deals with sin as well. But here, I'm talking about it in a more spirit, in a more positive way. Paul says in this passage, if we sow to the flesh, we will reap the fruits of the flesh. But if we sow after the Spirit, we will reap after the Spirit. And he calls that reaping not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. So if we sow after the Spirit, and you say, but I, sacri I sacrifice so much, I give up my time. But if you're only doing it for you and not for love, it's nothing. In fact, Paul says you can even have yourself killed. 
But if you don't do it out of his love, it's a waste of a life. Powerful word, isn't it? But Paul tells us something else in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. He tells us that love enhances and enriches our personal relationships. Now look at the passage as you go along. I don't have it on the screen, all of it. But verses 4 through 7. I'm sure you realize the words as we go on. Love enhances and enriches our personal relationships. He says love is patient. That means love puts up with a lot of stuff with people. Now I can detail some of the stuff. But I don't know if I need to do that, eh, Bonnie? I need to do that, eh? No. Bonnie says no, so I won't do it. Patient. We put up with a lot of stuff from people. That's love. He said, how can I put up with this person doing this, saying that, this attitude? Well, if you love the way God commands you to love, you'll put up with them. Patience. Love is kind. In other words, it treats others with respect and compassion. It treats others with respect and compassion. It's kind, gracious. Love is not jealous. In other words, it's trusting. It's not envious or suspicious of others. When I give counseling, I like to use illustration to the couple. I say to you, to them, you have to try to build a relationship with one another of trust. So that even if you see your girlfriend on the other side of the street, hugging her old boyfriend, you're not going to think anything's wrong. Now that's kind of hard, isn't it? But that's the kind of relationship you got to have if you say you really trust your wife. If the doubt comes and you, what is she doing? Is she having an affair? You don't trust your wife. Now I'm not talking about trusting the other person. I'm talking about trusting your wife or your husband. You understand? That's what love does. It's trusting. Not suspicious. See, that's why we cannot do this in our own strength. Man, if I see that, the first thing I can throw something at him. That's me. You understand? But love waits to hear an explanation. And she said, honey, he just told me that his mother died in an accident. That's why I hugged him. See, it changes everything, doesn't it? Love is not jealous, trusting. Love does not brag. In other words, it's humble. It's not arrogant. It has a balanced view of self. Never thinking of yourself better than somebody else or more important than somebody else. I should be the one who's singing, not her or not him. I should be the one who's preaching, not him. I should be the one who gets this raise, not him, not her, and so on. Love is not arrogant, is not boastful or conceited, in other words. Love does not act unbecomingly. It's not impolite, but courteous. Love does not seek its own. That's one of the basic core meanings of love, being unselfish. Seeking with only the benefit of others. Now this one, difficult one for me. Love is not provoked. 
One of the versions they're trying to make sense of this says, love is not easily provoked. But it doesn't say that. It says it's not provoked, easy or not. Love is not provoked. In other words, love is calm, cool, and collected. You're ready to strike back. The first disagreeable word. Now, I had to deal with this one. In fact, I'm still dealing with all of these, really. Because we're very defensive, aren't we? But love is very cautious here. It's not provoked. Love does not keep account of wrong doing. You know, I can get you. You did that to me, I can get you. Be keeping score. Love does not keep account of wrong done. In other words, love is forgiving. Forgiving. Whenever I come to this one, I always remember an event that really stands out. It happened uh, when I was pastoring in Racine, Wisconsin. It seems that, well, I better give uh, We had a, a group of uh, people there who had some real racial concerns. Let me put it that way. And we were dealing with them from the time we got there. One time we met, and uh, we had a real down-to-earth talk. And it ended up that all of us were forgiving one another. Because some real harsh things were said by these other individuals. But God really came in, and there was real reconciliation. Well, after about a year, we were talking about it, well, talking about things, and this incident came up for some reason. And two of the men to me said, Pastor Lee, do you remember that? I said, what? Do you remember when we had that discussion? I said, what discussion? He said, you remember? I said, no. I said, I know sometime we had something with some forgiveness done, but after that, I don't remember it. See, I, was, I, I remembered it, of course, but I was trying to make a point. I had forgiven them. So I selectively forgot it. You want to understand what I'm saying? That's what God does to our sin. He says, I will put them behind my back. I will put them in the deepest sea. I will what? Remember them no more. You think God going to forget? He chooses not to remember. You understand what I'm saying? And so I made that point. And then when they finally got it, you could see they laughed and they smiled. They said, yeah, you know, I forgot it. That's what forgiveness is. People say, well, forgiveness is not forgetting. I will forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. That's why we have to learn what forgiveness is. I like to look at forgiveness as having to do with remembrance, recalling. There's two forms of recalling or remembrance. One is historical. I remember an event. Just the event. Does nothing to me. I just remember it. 
And there's another one. That we call an emotional recall. This is when you remember and all the pain, all the hurt, everything that happened comes back. And you react to that. You haven't forgotten. And so you have to have selective. Let's learn how to remember historically, but not emotionally. You understand what I'm saying? That's what he says here. That's what love is. Does not keep an account of wrongdoing. But number 10, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, love is not happy when another person sins or is caught in some, uh, uh, something that is wrongdoing. Yeah, he deserves that. Good for him. He should have had that happened long time ago. You're rejoicing. Love doesn't do that. And that's a command. Not how you feel. It's a command. It doesn't rejoice over another person's misfortunes. But love does rejoice in the truth. We're happy when another person is honored, respected, given a raise, appreciated. Rejoices in the truth. And the person lives up to conviction, regardless of what it might cost them. We rejoice in that. Love bears all things. This is a word sometimes we do not see the real meaning because we don't get the true meaning of the word. We believe bears all things means to take whatever comes at you. But it has, the word has the idea of a covering. This word bear all things. It's like a shield or an umbrella that you put over somebody else to keep them from getting hurt. So what is this saying here? Love is when you protect that person from harm or help in any way. It bears the blows itself. That's love. This is done a lot of time in marriage for people who really love. We can talk about that when we talk about marriage. Love believes all things. Not suspicious in nature. It's accepting and, trust, and, and trusting. Not naive, mind you. But not suspicious by nature. Love hopes all things. Optimistic. Have faith in God and His Word. Hopes all things. Because they have their faith in a God of hope. And then finally, number 15, love endures all things. I call this spiritual fortitude, stability. It lasts. It isn't just here. It isn't the idea of falling in love. Because you know you could slip out the same way you fall in. No, this is talking about being stable, steadfast. Enduring. Love can be counted on. Feelings can't. That's love. Then he says in verse 8, Love is victorious, consistent, 
and enduring. It never fails. Isn't that beautiful? It never fails. And then, of course, he ends it up by saying, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. Faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. Of all the virtues, love is the greatest. Why? Because it encompasses all of the others. How have you grown in love in 2008? Have you grown? Or are you still bitter at that person, a little angry? Still carrying a little hurt? And you wish you could revenge yourself? What are you planning for 2009 so that your love could grow? Is this somebody you have to forgive? Is this somebody you have to ask forgiveness for? A harsh word, whatever it is. How do you rate? You have your scale, 1 to 10. Fill it out. That's love. Now let's go down to joy. Now this is the Greek word chara. Chara, your name means joy. You know that, don't you? And she sings with joy, doesn't she? Now this word here is similar to happiness, except it is not based on experience or circumstances. Happiness is based on happenings. If my happenings are good, I'm happy. If my happenings are bad, I'm not happy. Joy is not like that. Joy has nothing to do with circumstances or events. Joy has to do with our relationship with God. When we have the assurance of our relationship with God, we have joy. I like to call it the spiritual twin of peace. What does God says about the kingdom of God? is peace and joy. The twins. Do you have that joy? Do you have the same joy in Christ that you had when you first came to know Him and you realized that your sins were forgiven? And before you knew all of the other Christians? <laughs> Someone said, you know, the more I get to know Christians, the less joy I have. So they never had joy in the first place. Not real joy. Because our joy is not in our relationship with others. It's based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy. Do you have your joy in serving Jesus, as the song says? Do you have joy in your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with those with whom you minister, with whom you work? Do you have joy just in being a Christian because you know you are a child of the living God? That brings joy. And then he talks about peace. Now peace is another thing I wish we had, another element we had time, peace. There's a peace with God that comes through my faith in Christ. I know that I am secure, no judgment. God has taken away the enmity. 
That's not the peace he's talking about here. Then there's the peace of God. This is the peace of God himself. This is the peace that guards and protects our minds, our hearts in Christ Jesus. It's a referee. This is a settled tranquility. That's what I call it. A settled tranquility knowing that I am secure in Jesus Christ. I have peace. And then there's peace with our fellow men. Do you have peace with your fellow men? Do you have peace with your wife? Your husband? Your children? Your teacher? Your student? Peace. Does that characterize your relationship with people as well as with God? Can you sleep at night knowing that you are at peace with God, you are at peace with people, you are at peace with yourself? This peace is based on a secure relationship with God. Then he goes on to patience. This is a focus more toward man now than God. Patience. Literally the word here means large or great tempered. That's what it literally means. We like to use the word micro and macro. You know, small and big today. Well, this is macro tempered. Long tempered. This is the opposite of being short tempered. It's to be long-winded, not in preaching, but in dealing with others. To be long-winded in dealing with others. You hold your breath. That's patience. Now, if you want to know somebody, you can hold the breath. Lindsay Binder. That's only when he dives in, though. Nor when he's talking to me. But he knows how to hold his breath. That's what this is. Patience. Hold your breath. Don't strike out. Don't be impatient. An impatient impatient person can do many foolish things. Abraham is an impatient person. And we see the results right now over in Israel. Long-tempered. This is a characteristic that is spoken of of God in Scripture more than any other perhaps. God is patient with us. We ought to be the same. He goes on to kindness. This is another quality of God himself because God is good. That's the word. God is kind. That's what it really means. God is kind. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is kind. His kindness leads us to repentance. That's the kind of kindness we must demonstrate. We must show kindness toward others. As God shows it towards us. Are you kind? How do you rate there? From 1 to 10. Fill out your form. Goodness. Agathos. 
So we got the name Agatha. Like people say, Agatha. This is another quality of God, which is similar to kindness, but much more difficult to define, this word. See, this word has to do with activity. It is active. It is aggressive. And this is something that is directed toward those who don't deserve it. It's directed toward those who don't deserve it. The primary connotation being here is that generosity that springs from kindness to people who don't deserve it. It's the opposite of envyings that originates in the flesh. Kindness, goodness. Then he goes to faithfulness. This is another quality of God. All of these, most of them have to do with the quality of God himself. Because God is faithful, he can be relied upon. We should be people who can be relied upon. Uh, can you be relied upon? We have a meeting at 6.30. It's 7 o'clock. You don't show up yet. You cannot be relied upon. You're an unreliable person. Some people think being late for meeting don't mean anything. Oh, they could wait. No, it just shows you. Just shows you. That you're not dependable. That you don't care about other people. That's what faithfulness means. True to your word. Dependable and trustworthy. Gentleness is the next word. Gentleness refers to a person is so much in control of himself that he is always angry at the right times and never angry at the wrong time. Now notice I didn't say you can't be angry. You just know how to be angry at the right time. Somebody described gentleness as power under control. Power under control. It's often used to describe the training of an animal. You put a bridle in the mouth of a wild horse. And you bring them under your control. A powerful horse. And the horse becomes gentle. Did he lose his power? No. It's just under control. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're strong. Because you can control your anger. That's gentleness. We are to receive the word of God with gentleness. It's amazing. What does that mean? You know, some people, they hear the word. They think it's the preacher preaching to them. And they strike out at the messenger. When really they're striking out against God. The Bible says, receive the word with what? Meekness. Don't push it off. Don't oppose it. Don't strike. Receive the word with meekness. Then he says self-control or temperance. This is similar to gentleness, but focuses on sensual passion rather than anger. This self-control here focuses on sensual passion, not anger. This is the quality of character that gives victory over sensual fleshly desires. And therefore relates to the purity and holiness of lifestyle. Do you have to watch that program that you know it's going to show nudity? 
pornographic? Do you have to? Are you going to play that game that you know has these kinds of things in them? If you say, well, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to do that's a lack of self-control. That's a lack of temperance. Paul is telling us that these are all related to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we need to check up on them regularly to see whether or not we are really growing in the faith. Because if we're not growing, perhaps we're not in the faith in the first place. This is the control, that quality which comes to a person when Christ is in his heart, that quality which makes him able to live and to walk in the Word and in the world, and yet to keep his garments unspotted from the world. See, unfortunately, too many of our professing Christians today see is trying to see how close they could come to the world and still be Christian. They don't try to get away from it. They try to see how close they can get to it and still be regarded as being Christian. That's not any kind of activity that will enhance spiritual growth. How do you rate then with these items? Do you make any are you making any plans for 2009 where you can improve on them? If you use the tool that I've given you, it might help you to do that. Let me close with these. Look at your notes again. How would you respond to this? I believe that I have grown in my intimacy with God, 1 to 10. Are you satisfied or dissatisfied in your intimacy with God? And I say again, that's only possible if you become intimate with the Word. Two, I believe that I have been submissive to the Holy Spirit, 1 to 10. How do you rate? Three, I believe that I have been obedient to the Word of God. How do you rate? Have you been? Obedient to the word in 2008? Again, you divide this particular section by three for an average score. Now, this is what I'd like to do when you go through it, if you go through it, and I encourage you to do it. You add the total of each section, the score of each section, then divide by eight because there are eight sections. Circle a number on the checkup tool that corresponds with your with your total, with your answer. This will give you an average, a personal evaluation of what you are spiritually based on the eight different areas we have looked at this morning and this evening. And whenever you work on this particular chart, this tool, you could add, you could take away, but it gives you some idea of where you are. Use the steps to improve to help you to grow in 2009 with the idea that the end of 2009 we will see improvement in our score it'll be on the profit side not on the loss side in other words as it says on the notes resolve to grow into Christ-likeness in 2009 will you make that resolve along with me 
based on your inventory, the audit of your spiritual life, I trust that you will.